right. Welcome back to Building a Fighter. My name is Dr. Austin Shane, sports chiropractor in Scottsdale, Arizona. With me, as always, badass strength coach in Denver, Colorado, Alex Friedman. What's up, Alex? How are you, Austin? Dude, I'm living. It's a beautiful Sunday. Hanging out. It's 101 degrees in Arizona, so it's not terrible. And we're just we're just chilling. What, what are not you doing? Terrible. What are you doing? Same thing, man. We just got done walking the dogs Sunday afternoon. Pretty uh, a little light sprinkles here in Denver, but no, oh, man, cruising. Hell yeah. Well, for the folks at home listening today, we're gonna be talking about a podcast, but I'm gonna kick it off to Alex. He has he has the kind of idea behind it, and then we're gonna do an intro. Do it, Alex. Yeah, man. So um, one idea and some buzzwords floating around in my head that I wanted to talk about are robustness and fragility um, or like being fragile. So I think this happens a lot, obviously in training, but both on the mental and physical sides of training, right? Like you have physical robustness or physical fragility, and then you have your mental side of robustness and fragility. And we want to expose our athletes so that we can be robust to the multiple demands that they're going to see, whether it's in their sport or in their lifestyle or um, whatever you're training for. But going into this, I wanted to kind of talk about the mental side first and really investigate, like, what does it mean to be like mentally robust, right? We've talked a lot about mental um, training in the last few weeks or so. But one thing that opened my eyes up to this in the past few weeks is I see such a difference in my professional athlete conditioning and the way they take on challenges versus my general population athletes and how they take on challenges and, and how they respond to them. And regardless of the challenge level, regardless of, of what the drill like specifically is, there's just a different way that these two populations take it on or, or they carry the burden mentally, right? My professional athletes have more of the mindset of, you know, whatever it is, I got to do it. I'm going to crush it. I'm going in. My other clients have some of the mindset of like, oh, I've never done this before. I don't know how hard it is. And, and they're going to end up, you know, bowing to the challenge, if you will. But I think that's where us as strength coaches, right? We talked to the other day to Darren about like how we can make an impact as strength coaches in the mental preparation. We can prepare our athletes to have a better mindset going into some of those larger challenges that, yeah, might crush them, but we can come out the other end knowing that we put it all mentally into that challenge. Well, I think, I don't, I don't know if it's, cause I know exactly what you're talking about. I have athletes and non-athletes to do the same thing, but I also have professional athletes that are doing the exact same thing you're talking about that non-professional athletes do. Yeah. I think it, to me, it boils down to the categories of we have our overthinkers or just our thinkers. And then we have our doers, yeah. our doers just jump in and they're like, fuck it. <laughs> like it, it might hurt me. It might not hurt me. They don't think, and that could be their detriment moving forward. That's not necessarily always a good thing, right. but they just go and do versus then we have the thinkers who typically are more on the fragility side of things. They overthink what's going to be happening. They're like, what, could, what is everything that could go wrong? Not what's everything that could go right, which is the, what the doers typically think. Yeah. And I think that, that, aligns itself well with confidence or with like the, the amount of effort that you're prepared to put into um, the challenge, you know, like let's use like a Tabata interval on whatever exercise that you want to, mm -hmm. you want to pick as a, as a good example. Like Tabatas are hard. Like yeah. we used to do front squat Tabatas at school, you know, aerodyne Tabatas suck versus climber Tabatas definitely suck. Um, but one common mindset that I ha I see with my thinkers, with my guys that overthink things is like, what if I try my hardest? And what if it's not very good, then I'm not very good. 
So I can't try my hardest and that way I have an excuse. I think we talked about yeah. this last podcast actually, but that's the wrong approach to bring into our training, right? So it should be like, there's no winning and losing in the weight room, quote unquote. Like you don't have a weight room record, similar to the fact that like, even in the weight room or in general training, like you're never done. You're never like there good enough. You never have to train again, right? So you're always constantly facing those challenges and there's never like an end goal. So I think a better mindset going into that is like, I'm gonna just give it my all. And then next time I'll try and beat it. Like it doesn't necessarily matter what my result is in this instance. Well, I agree. And in exercise in particular, that's, that's typically the more sought after thought process. <laughs> right. Um, in the world of injury prevention, and this could be something we go into further, that's typically the thing that, that might get you potentially to cause an injury, right? Is that you just go, 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 go. And you don't really think about what's going on, yeah. but I think flipping that paradigm on its head, because I think injury prevention has seeped its way into strength and conditioning too much. And that's literally my whole world, (laughs) but, but I think the injury prevention model that we've tried to portray into S and C like the mobility drills and stuff like that, that I love so much has actually brought about a fragility mindset to a lot of different athletes where they think if they can't get to full, full squat depth, they're fucked. They're going to tear their ankle. They're going to tear their knees up and they're going to, their hips are going to be super shitty and they, they're not going to be able to perform their sport without getting hurt because we decided that the FMS was a standard for everybody. And you should be able to get to a 90 degree squat or what have you. I think what we should do and what we should be preaching is more of the doer mindset in our exercises of just go out there and fucking do it. Let me make your changes if I need to. But for the most part, you're an athlete, you're a professional athlete. Even if you're not a professional athlete, you're probably going to move in a strategy that best suits your body. That's your brain's a pretty smart thing. (laughs) It's, It's going to typically pick the patterns that your body likes most. And then maybe one or two cues to get you away from things that we think might potentially be an irritant to you is a lot more important than teaching a 15 step squat and then having them do it perfectly. And then they're going to forget it on the next one. Right. Well, I think exactly what some of you just said there, like is key, like to have that doer mindset and to just go for it. You have to have a coach that, it, that knows and understands limitations, right? Yeah. Like, um, like you said, give them one or two cues that limit the irritations. Like if you have a coach that, you know, is going to, um, prescribe you appropriate sets, reps and intensities, then you can just have that versus like a lot of coaches and like we can pick on CrossFit or whatever that don't scale intensity at all and just say, go for it. And then you get hurt, right? That's what breaks the trust in the relationship. And that's why I would overthink, um, doing 50 clean and jerk. Right. So there has to be that, that standard of care, the, um, the level of understanding by your coach and your practitioner to prescribe appropriate intensities and sets and reps. And I think that just takes um, into the moral of like being good at your job as a strength coach, right? Like know where your athletes abilities level are and like know what's going to push them, but coach them into a good mindset going in that into the challenge rather than um, just kind of throwing it up and be like, Hey, this is going to be really fucking hard. Good luck. Right. So, but I totally agree with your sentiment too, that like injury prevention and, the fragile mindset has invaded strength and conditioning so much. Like some of my favorite cues are like, just be an athlete or just do it, like get it done. It's I cool. would argue, I would argue with what you said, right? Not that last part, last part was Please. golden, but the, 
taught part about just, just saying, just go get it done. Cause I think if I'm working with a thinker, if I'm working with an overthinker, sometimes you just got to tell them, just get it done. I promise you, you're not going to hurt yourself. And, and maybe yeah. I'm wrong and then I'll eat crow and I'll fix it or right. do whatever I can to help you. But for the most part, like what I've found myself doing with the overthinkers just to try to avoid them and their fear avoidance is just saying, look, this is going to suck. Sorry in advance. Do it. Sure. Yeah. And, and I totally agree with what you mean there. I guess I was, I was meaning like, just go get it done as in, I don't care who you are. This is the exercise. Got you. Like, like a generalization. Like, yeah. So like, uh, I guess more of a, just go get it done as far as the, just get this exercise done or this, you know, test done versus like, anyway. Uh, right. But that, but I feel like that's a good point. Cause that's, that comes down to, we haven't talked about it for a little bit on the podcast is knowing how to coach individually each athlete. Yeah. Cause if you have an overthinker, you have to tell them that or else they're just going to keep asking you questions. And if it's potentially like a conditioning piece and they're asking a question after every fucking set, that is no longer conditioning. Yeah. <laughs> right. Or, or, but if I have a doer and they just blatant, they're getting 90 degrees of lumbar flexion every single time, maybe you're doing a double kettlebell deadlift and they're just rounding their back to shit. Then I have to, I literally have to be like, Hey, let's break this down. Fuck this. This isn't as important. I got to make you think more because you're just flying through it. Yeah. Or, and like you, you hit these walls with athletes too. Like you, you try to explain to blue in the face, like this needs to be a better deadlift or whatever. Like another skill I feel like is overlooked in, in coaching is like, sometimes you don't have to teach that right? Like, yep. you know, change the exercise, yep. you know, we're going to do a trap bar instead of a kettlebell deadlift or like, um, I'm going to do RDLs and then you can transfer a skill from RDLs. I think exercise selection is like grossly overlooked in that context, right? Like sure. you can change the exercise and like accomplish the still the same global goal, but with a less risk and a more clear, uh, intention for sure. And that's actually a funny point because I just had that exact thing happen to me with one of my uh, non-professional athletes that I program for. He, this guy, he's an ex-athlete, um, very nice guy, not a professional athlete. Uh, and he just wants to get back into shape. And I've been wanting to progress him to a trap bar deadlift all the way through. I've been working with him for four months now. We've progressed all the way up to double kettlebell, like, like double kettlebell stuff, or just straight up kettlebell stuff all the way up to hundred, 110 pounds. Like it's, he it's heavy for somebody that doesn't have a huge threshold sure. for, for like reps. And I finally, I bit, I bit the bullet his gym got a trap bar deadlift. I'm like, all right, dude, we're going to trap bar deadlift because I see him twice a month in person. And then the rest is remote and virtual. Then as soon as we started getting into trap bar deadlift, which I thought should be good because it's a really relatively similar pattern to a kettlebell deadlift, boom, low back flares up. And it's not that he's doing anything wrong. It's not that I checked the form. I did it in office. It all looked great. It's just that having his hands outside of his legs versus inside of his legs, it just flipped, pissed off his back. And I had to be like, all right, this was my goal, not his goal. His goal was to just be healthy and to have strong hips. My goal was like, all right, I want to progress him to a trap bar deadlift because I think that's what's best for him. It's almost like yeah. I'm thinking I know what's better for my athlete than he knows. Right. And that's just at the end of the day, not true. It's being able to lateralize exercise. So I was right before this podcast, I was programming this next month and I'm like, well, trap bar deadlift's gone. It's out the door. Right. Maybe, maybe bring it back in like five, six months just to see. But right now he doesn't have the threshold to do that. So why am I going to try to force it? Yeah. Yeah. I, I fell into that trap a couple of times too, where you're like, you're forwarding your own agenda versus like what might be actually better for the client 
in a sense. And like, like I, I've gone through the whole things. Like we just need to nix exercises. You know, I, I have the biggest struggle with that with myself. Um, cause throughout my undergrad and a little bit after I loved back squatting, like back squatting was my jam. I don't know. I just felt like I did it well, blah, blah, blah. Took six months off of it, lost some range of motion. Now I, literally every time for the last five years that I back squat, maybe I can get two or three weeks or a month or whatever, get away with it for a while, but my low back flares up. And it's not necessarily the techniques wrong. It's not necessarily this or that. It's just like, I'm prone to messing up that exercise. So it's like, maybe just nix that exercise and we'll see, you know, down the road. I'm getting to that point with barbell front squats, unfortunately. And I, that's my favorite exercise to do is barbell front squat. But every time I do it, when I like, cause I'm a dumbass and I just jump back into, I'm like, oh, okay. I should probably be able to do 185. That's fine. (laughs) I am robust to stay on topic with the podcast. I jump back in and every single time my mid back flares up because I haven't used those stabilizers since the last time I front squatted heavy. So like my rhomboids and my mid traps just immediately go into spasm. And I'm like, what the fuck? And I sit like that for like two days, every single time I do heavy front squats or like progressing heavy front squats. Right. And, and you think about it, like, yes, we should progress it more appropriately. And like, but, but your boy's a dog. He wants to right. jump back in out of nowhere. So speaking of that, I think that mindset is actually really useful in some contexts. Like obviously not what we were just talking about, right. When you're being ignorant and a little hey, vain hey. and statistical, like, you know, if I jump back into like a three fifteen pound back squat, like, yeah, my shit's going to hurt. But in a sense of like conditioning, you can break through a lot of like personal barriers and thresholds by having that mindset, you know, like your mind will limit you a lot more than your body does. And a good example for me, in my training program, I had 30 seconds on 30 seconds off on the versa climber the last, whatever, four weeks. Why do you um, hate yourself? I know exactly. But I was doing it. And the first week I did it, I was like, all right, I'm going to get a hundred vertical feet every rep. And, and that's a decent challenge, right? Like, and I, I did it. I did 104, 103, 101 or something like that. Like I hit the threshold every week or every rep. Then the next week we added a set and blah, blah, blah. And like, I started to drop off a little bit and I was thinking, oh man, I'll never beat 100, 104 in 30 seconds, yeah. you know? And then my third week, my overload week, I had that idea like, like, and I had like, fuck it. I'm a dog. I'm going, I'm going to slay these demons. Let's go. And I like went into it. And my first rep, I got 127. Like it was just like a mental barrier that I put on myself because I thought a hundred was a goal or a a barrier that I couldn't beat. And then like the next round I got 137. Right. And it just like continually goes up and up and up like that. And I think we need to foster that within, all right, maybe just, just me, a personal thing. I need to foster that within my athletes a lot more that like your mental barriers are not real. Yeah. And no, I agree, dude. That's I, I, that happens to me too, all the time where I, I want to be able to help my athletes so much. And I want to like, if I'm, I'm the guy, I'd rather cut you than push you to the point of your puking. I, I'd rather cut you yeah. a little bit early than push you to the puking point. And that's, that's how I've made a living so far. That's how I've made a name with my athletes. But sometimes that does breed a culture of they're going to stop at 90% instead of push to a hundred. And that's the barrier I'm trying to get over right now because not every athlete I work with does that, but I have a couple athletes that, that do do that, that they kind of chose me because I I might be a little bit nicer Mm -hmm. and I might try to be as smart as possible and, and rather cut them before they hurt themselves. But that's fostered a culture of in their head, they're pushing to a hundred percent, but they're not actually getting to the deep waters. 
they're not getting to like, I remember vividly, like I watched a Isaiah Martinez. He's a wrestler, wrestler university of Illinois flow wrestling did a, a piece on him. And it was an amazing, amazing flow film that they did on this guy's life. Um, which is funny to say, cause he's our age. So it's weird to like be talking about right. a guy our age like this, but he had a cool life and he, he was an amazing wrestler. And he always talks about, I'm, I want to take the fight to deep waters because I know I can swim. Yeah. If you consistently cut people early and if you can consistently train smarter, not harder, unfortunately, you're not going to go to those deep waters for the most part. It's really hard to be perfect with your conditioning to get people to deep waters. So some days there's got to be a red flag day. And that's what I've noticed. And that's what I've realized. And not that I'm going to do it every single week, that it's going to be a red flag day every Saturday. But what I am going to do is I'm going to push people past their thresholds. And if they puke sometimes like once a month, then they puke sometimes. Yeah. At least I, in my conditioning protocol. Exactly. I think that that's a point of growth there too, because I mean, that would be my disposition as well, as far as being the on the relatively safe side, like the do, do no harm side or the right. non over aggressive intensity coach, because I see so much of that in our industry, right? Yeah. And I think that's where you got to really know your athletes and their schedules and this and that. Like I know for a lot of my athletes, my professional fighters, they're getting pushed to that point two, three, four times at their sport practice every week, yeah. right? So that's where I can justify like myself as far as like I'm getting foot off the gas to let it be. But then I also have some athletes that like are learning to take the easy route and this and that. And like you can see it. So it's a little bit like everything else. Like there's a gray area and a happy like moderation or medium Mm -hmm. amount. So I think I like what you're saying as far as sprinkling it in. It doesn't have to be every workout, which I think too many people make their money on or make their strength conditioning, uh, whatever tagline is that they're the hard coach or the hard or whatever right. they're going to grind you into the into, into the ground right yeah. that's that's their goal is to work work harder not smarter <laughs> if you will again time and place for everything right like i had a i had a, a really good example just this past week i have a certain crew three or four guys that i train an extra day on the fight team because they want to get it they want you know active recovery or whatever it's on their sparring day yeah and uh I was at practice, so I knew this. That was the kind of the first piece of the puzzle. But one of the guys had stitches, one of the guys sprained his ankle, and this and that. And so they're not practicing, right? Or they're doing a modified practice. They're still getting some work in, but they're modified. It's like they're not hitting the same intensity, right? Mm-hmm. Neither of them sparred on Friday. So first piece, I have to be there to know that, right? Or you have to ask to know that, or you have to right. really genuinely have some context. But since they didn't practice full blast and since they didn't, uh, spar that Friday active recovery workout. Now that turns into let's fucking get it workout because mm-hmm. you know, they're missing some intensity in their week for better or worse at practice. They're not modifying to get that intensity. So I can modify my session because as a strength conditioning coach, you should have that skill that they can still get after it, even with those, you know, quote unquote injuries. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I think knowing when and where to place the, the intensity or the, the dog days or, uh, we used to call it, we used to call it sicko Saturdays at the PI, um, but it's just like understand where your athletes at and when it's time to push it. I think that's the that's the obviously part of your job, right? Right. Just knowing when and where to dose. Yeah, and it it goes back to a rule that I always say, and I feel like until I just thought about it right now, I forgot it or forgot that it existed. Is like high performance isn't always healthy. Yeah, it's not always the healthiest option. It's not always the best option. That the option is the option that you have to take right? Sometimes you have exactly what you said, like you, they have a down week in practice, or maybe they're not there. They have an injury that's nagging them. They're not able to spar. Well, there goes a red day in their training. 
that means you can add a red day into your training if you need to, because it's more important in my mind to keep the intensity the same, keep the intensity blocks the same, even if it's a sport practice, a skill practice, a strength conditioning session, whatever it may be. I think intensity overall in a training load is a lot more important than where the intensity is placed. Yeah, I would say that. Yeah, I agree. Like uh, to an extent, like doesn't matter where you get it as long as you're getting it. Exactly. It's just thresholds over and over and over again. We keep seeing that's it's the exact same topic we're talking about here where it's a mental block. It's just a yeah. mental threshold that you have to get over. Yeah. It's just a physical threshold you have to get over. It's the same thing with intensity in a training scheme. It's just a threshold that you have to reach in order to either maintain or progressively overload that athlete's threshold. It doesn't matter where they get it. Exactly. And, and speaking of the mental side, like once you hit that that red day or like in my versus climate story, when I, once I hit that 137, like that's the new standard. Right. And so you're leveling up in that sense of, all right, now I got to go for 137 every time. Or now I, I know that I'm capable of more. So that's the standard of more now. And you're going to get more benefit, higher intensity, or uh, just a better go out of every week, out of every red day, out of this and that. And you learn a lot about yourself in that. And I think that's where the, like the confidence in preparation comes from is like, I know I didn't leave any stones unturned. I know that I break, broke through my previous barriers. I know I'm better than I was last time. So from there, I can actually rely on my training for some confidence. Well, that's where I'm getting like another thing that I've decided to change recently in my training paradigm is that I'm going to start doing post-testing before they fight. And the soul, I always used to think in my mind, well, that's a waste of two training sessions. Legitimately, in my mind, that's what I think. But more and more, the idea comes down to everybody in the UFC is physically prepared for their sport. That is the only way they get into the UFC unless they have uber talent, right? So they need to be confident in their preparation. That I think is more important than the actual physical attributes. It's just a threshold of being confident in the training that they did. So we talked about with Darren a couple weeks ago. And If I add in post-testing into all of their different variables, I know they're going to go up. We've just put in an entire eight-week fight camp tailored around trying to boost their skills and their skills directly align with our training paradigm and with our testing protocol. So those are going to go up and in their head, they're going to be more confident with the work they put in. That in my mind, that's the biggest change that I'm going to make in the year of 2022 is that I'm adding in exit testing, not just entrance testing. And I think it's going to make a huge difference in the athlete's mindset and breaking through those mental thresholds. Well, that is one direction of it. Yeah. But it's kind of a double-edged sword too there, because like, what if, what if we have an off day or what if something happens and we have a negative result you could have you could be asking for the opposite result but um but yeah that shows a lot of confidence in your product right and i think you should have that mindset that we're gonna get better so i can definitely do this exit testing and it's gonna boost the confidence so i want to know you want to know it's fucking funny though sorry to cut you off is that i didn't even think it could like in my mind as you're saying that i'm like uh, i didn't even think that it could go the other way that's how yep. confident, like that's maybe i'm just a cocky prick but i, I was know, but- i was only thinking it's gonna go in the positive way well, that's the, that's the whole intent idea behind training and you hope so, but maybe a weight cut gets in the way or maybe For sure. or that, or maybe you have like a negative um, outcome, which we know will not determine the outcome of the fight. Right. But to your point, again, might uh, dissolve some of the confidence, some of the preparation and training, and then could have a negative impact. So you hope again, that doesn't happen, but I kind of like the, the, you know, 
the big dick mindset of it's going to go positive and we're going to get better from it. So fuck BDE, off. brother. BDE. Um, but I like that. And I like another thing that you said too. And I was just actually having this conversation with a fellow coach. Sometimes the confidence and the belief in preparation and training is a more important and a bigger training stimulus than the actual physical outputs from training. Yeah, uh, I 100% agree in that because, you know, I think of it, I liken it to like a placebo effect. You know, if I'm 100% into this physical training and I know it's making me better and I've made that decision, I'm going to put a lot more effort into it. I'm going to try hard. I'm going to learn and get better at it. Um, but also from just a placebo effect standpoint, like if I believe it works, it works. Right. So I think you're going to get a lot more from the mental confidence and everything of your training than just uh, just like banking on physical training effects. Yeah, it's. I think that's where bells and whistles start becoming a factor in strength and conditioning. And you and I both know, like like high altitude tanks, like they're probably going to do what two percent red light yeah, therapy. Right. It's probably going to do one percent. Like uh, fit lights, it's probably going to do one percent. They're not major gains you're going to get from any of right. these products, they're but not meat and potato. from a but just from a physical standpoint, from a mental standpoint, that might get the athlete to buy in and do more work. That might get the athlete to be more comfortable in their training. That might get the athlete to push a little bit harder because they see it and they know it looks cool and they know they they feel good when they're doing what is perceived as more complex shit. And while you and I both know that's not necessarily what gives them the results in their head, it gives them a placebo effect to the point where they're like, all right, I feel more prepared. I'm doing this shit. Like, let's go. And they go again into the fight, feeling more prepared for what they're going to do. And I'm not, the purpose of this is I'm not saying that you need to go buy all the bells and whistles. They're still probably a waste of money for the most part. But what I am saying is you sometimes need to diversify your training or gamify your training, or maybe you do get one new bell or whistle just to get people motivated again, to get people more interested again. That's honestly, that's the reason why I bought my BFR cuffs. Yes. The research is sound. Yes. Like that's probably the best bell and whistle you can get if you're trying to buy one bell and whistle. Cause that the research is there time and time again for the hypertrophy or for the VO2 max increase or for the growth hormone stimulus. But the only reason I kind of got it is that's a new toy that I can implement as long as I know how to implement. And it's going to get my fighters to buy in and want to do more conditioning or want to do more strength work or want to do a active recovery day, which is how I use a lot of my BFR training. Cause it's, you can use it and get a high level stimulus at essentially a 30% intensity. Yeah. I think similar to what you're saying, like that's, the craft and that's part of the knowing how to be a coach is persuading your athletes into what's good for them. Mm-hmm. Right. Cause as we know, all of our athletes have their own opinion on what they should be doing and how they should be doing it right for better or worse. Yeah. But if you can persuade and for lack of a better term, convince your athlete what's best for them and then get them to want to do it. Like the whole getting them to want to do it piece mm-hmm. super important. Yep. Um, I had a cool experience the other Friday uh, I have a pretty chronic overtrainer in one of my athletes and I told them, tell them blue in the face, trust the process, buy into the program, blah, blah, blah. You need to do this, not that. Blah, blah, blah. And like, I was having this conversation day of training, like 10 minutes before the plan we had, they were asking, what are we doing today? Blah, blah, blah. Is that really enough? Blah, blah, blah. And then one of the, their teammates comes up and says, you just need to trust the process. Just do what he says. He's a professional. And like, and this athlete received it so well and so much better than when I say it, since it came from a a teammate, like, or finding that alternative 
route to getting the buy-in or to getting um, persuading your athlete to do what's best for them, I think is hugely um, important. So what you're saying is put plants in the team to go around (laughs) and say what you want to say. People do that all the time, man. Throw throw an Um, extra 20 or 30 just to go in there to convey the message across. I'll give you a discount if you tell everybody. (laughs) Um, No, it's, it's hugely important though, because how much more excited are your guys for their active recovery day, quote unquote, if they know they're finishing the day with a BFR pump. Yep, exactly. Right? They don't give a shit that, you know, a concern in their head might be, oh, this workout's not hard. It's not worth doing. I'm not going. They're just right? happy it doesn't say air bike. <laughs> For sure. So, so having that balance as a coach, even though what you're doing isn't, quote unquote, the most sound science or the most perfect use of the last 10 minutes in a workout, I feel like that's a, that's a barrier that a lot of young coaches have to get through. Like, it's not the perfect thing to do, but it's the best thing for the athlete's mental and physical. So. Keeps the athlete mentally engaged. And that, yeah. as we've talked about it in ad nauseum is probably more important than just going through the work in general. Hey, fuck. Hey, Amen. So I think that's a huge point in the crafting of a workout that you can build. I guess we ventured a little bit for farther off mental and physical robustness. But that can expand your repertoire as a coach, as well as, you know, get your athletes to be more mentally robust. If you're not, quote unquote, playing the head games with them, but you're being knowledgeable and being like emotionally intelligent with how you make the workouts. Yeah. Another one is we, I have a shake plate. You seen those? We've had like the vibration, you stand on it and oh, it like, yeah, sp- yeah, vibrates yeah. your body. So we've had one of those at the clinic. That, I mean, the research on that is relatively poor for the most right. part for like lymphatic drainage and all the shit. Yeah. Most of the research is made by the companies that make the plates, but we found like one's been in the back of our office for the last, for two and a half years. And then I just randomly pulled it out like, or actually Jeff randomly pulled it out and he just put it in the, in the like main gym area just because I, hey, whatever, stand on it for five minutes, not a big deal. My athletes have gotten the people that just do that for 10 minutes before in their head, they're like, oh, this is preparing me so much. And they've gotten such better workouts. They've been in just a better mood just yeah. because they stood on that thing that I don't think the research supports, but they think it does. So they just jump on it and they just go for it. And that sets them up for a better workout. Yep. What's the harm of putting somebody on a little thing that shakes while they do their warm up? <laughs> yeah. There's and no I harm. Think, exactly. And I think, uh, I think that with a couple of different things, like when I was at some previous gyms, um, we foam rolled before every session and we did RPR, which is like a self-massage yeah, stimulation yeah. thing, right? Research Adductor is 50, 50, yeah, <laughs> research is 50, 50. We know on all of it. And like RPR is relatively little research or whatever. But if your athletes are bought in, they think that's the best thing for them and it gets them in a great mental state to work out. Let's do it. Let's make it a routine. You know, that's mm-hmm. my, been my thing for foam rolling forever is like, you're probably not actually self myofascial releasing, right? We know that from the research. We know it's 50, 50, blah, blah. You're, but if you believe in it, self myofascial, not sure. probably you are not, <laughs> but if you believe in it and you believe it's getting you more ready to work out, then it's probably having a positive impact. And what's the harm in doing it? Exactly. And, unless you're doing it. 23 out of 24 hours of the day. Yeah, just wasting time. So, yeah. um, so be what it may. Sometimes you got to give and take a little bit in your programs. Yeah. Sometimes you got to push a little hard. Sometimes you can take the reins off, but it's all about finding those mental thresholds, helping them overcome them, or at least meet them every single workout. Yes, yes, yes. yes. So I think that's a, that's a good wrap up to our podcast on um, finding where and when to push your athletes, helping them become mentally robust as I mean, as well as physically robust, which is our, the primary principle of our job. 
but push through some of that fragility, push through some of that what if thoughts. And, and as a coach, you should be comfortable making your athletes uncomfortable. Right? I feel like for a long time in my career, and I see this in young coaches like, oh shit, I made them puke. That's a bad session. Session's a waste. Like not necessarily, you know, sometimes they got to learn a valuable lesson about being prepared to work out and you're going to hold the standard regardless if they're prepared or not. And then hopefully they'll meet that standard uh, more later on. But knowing the context, knowing the situation is huge. And that's really all I have on the subject. Sweet. So guys, if you got to get a hold of us, all of our information's in the show notes, as we always say. If you want to get one of our programs, they are all at buildingafighter.com. We are up to about eight or nine different programs. I think it's actually eight. Um, seven strength conditioning, one low back. Be on the lookout. We're making a neck course as well for all of you individuals that want neck strength. Um, and we're also going to add some more programs onto the website. So this is Dr. Austin Shane. It's Alex Friedman. And we are out. Thank you.